0: It's good to be worshiping uh, with you all on this Sunday, and as many of you know, I am on a, uh, a preaching sabbatical. I have two Sundays left, including today before I'm back uh, in the pulpit, so we've got two more guest preachers. Uh, today, we have uh, Joshua Savadwa. Uh, if you want to come on up, uh, many of you probably recognize uh, Joshua. He is one of uh, those we support through our missions uh, giving, and uh, he's been here before. I think you came in May, if I remember correctly. Uh, last time, yeah, yeah, early May. And um, so Joshua, just tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and where you guys live.
1: Sure. Joshua Savatoa grew up in North Carolina in Georgia. We, uh, my wife and I, Ruth, live on the Yakima Reservation in Washington State and work there in the, the, the Yakima Nation, the Yakima tribe. Uh, it's an Indian, Indian tribe there. So we, we uh, work with a, a church and a ministry there that's um, from uh, our denom- the PCA denomination, and we do a lot of work with children and teenagers and a lot of mercy ministry work in the community. It's a community that has a lot of poverty and a lot of difficulty. And so that's uh, some of the big needs that we, we work on. But there's a lot of different things we do too. But yeah, that's a...
0: Yeah, and you've got a lot of kids there. Share just some about what that ministry
1: is. Yeah. So on our Sunday mornings, we'll have about 40, sometimes 50 children that come and they're coming generally without their parents, so we send out a bus and, and vans to pick a bus and four vans to pick up on Sunday morning, and we'll bring the kids to church. And they, uh, it's, it's neat because they are all in, in small groups. Uh, the fifth graders and under are in small groups, and their small group leader kind of serves as their surrogate parent for the day. So Ruth has a group of fourth and fifth grade girls that she's with from 10:15 to 1, 1:15 when we leave, and they'll do children's church together, sit in the big service together, eat together, and then do some activities after church together.
0: So, Great. And then, how did you get interested in this ministry?
1: Yeah, I, I went out as a summer intern in 2009 with Sacred Road, and I found them on the PCA's website. I, my, I was in a college ministry, RUF, and we went and did Hurricane Katrina relief work, and it got me interested in mercy ministry work. And I, I, was, I was wanting to go back there to help with them, and then I saw Sacred Road on, on the internet, and followed him, and went out as an intern.
0: Great. And then just what are some ways we can be praying for you guys and encouraging you in yeah. this season?
1: Uh, our Christmas season, which is just starting, is very busy for us. Uh, we'll give out, we, we, we visit over 100 homes during Christmas time, and give, we give out around 500 gifts to children during that time. So we, that's what we did last year. It'll be similar, and we we do a lot of ministry and outreach in our community, and then we do some outreach in two, res- two other reservations, the Nez Perce and Warm Springs Reservations. And uh, so it's busy, but um, do be praying for us. We, Like I said, we have mostly children, and we need, we need more adults in our church for leadership, and, and um, be praying for that. But one thing that we have seen, um, this is November still. So for the month of November, we've had our, our highest attendance that we've ever had the month. And we've had a lot more uh, families coming and adults coming. So we're really excited about that and really hopeful. And uh, yeah, we'll see what God does.
0: Great. Well, we're excited to have you back here and to uh, bring us the word this morning. Absolutely. Thank you.
1: Yes. Thank you. Thank you guys for your prayers and your support and for inviting us and um, for having us. We're we're, we're excited to be here. Um, This will work. Yes, this does work. So today's sermon is um, from Luke, chapter 14, verses 12 through 24, and I think it'll be posted here. Yes, it is. So yeah, it's, um, I said that wrong. I meant Luke 14. Luke 14, and I turned to the wrong page. There we go. Luke 14, verses 12 through 24. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner... Do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the teachings and the stories. We thank you for Jesus. Father, we we pray and ask that through this this passage, through this sermon, we can can see Jesus better. We can see him as real. We can see him as beautiful and lovely and stronger than, than these other things in our life. Father, work in our hearts. Give us the the ears to hear, and the eyes to see, and the hearts to believe. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I titled this sermon, Who is God? Who do you say God is? And you may not uh, pick that up from this, from this passage, but uh, it, it's a question that we ask. Who is God? Why are we here? What are we doing? What's going on? And in this passage, we, we get a picture of who God is. We get, we get a glimpse of what he's like. And if... Um, if you're a, a good Presbyterian, you may think, well, we know who God is because we have the, the confession, and the confession is, is, it has a long description of who God is with a lot of big words, a lot of good words. The, the larger catechism, question number seven, it says, what is God, or you could say, who is God? And it, answer, it answers it as, God is a spirit, in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all-sufficient, eternal, eternal. Unchangeable and comprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. That's, that is one answer. You could go with the, the Nicene Creed, written a long, long time ago. It says, One God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and invisible, Jesus only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance, and it, and it continues. And I, I wanted to kind of, to bring that up as, as, um, as Christians, we have different documents in the church's history we may go to and say, well that's how, that's how we know who God is. We go to the Bible, we learn who God is. But I, w- I wanna propose to you, or offer, that one of, th- one of the things we can go to is stories. There's a, an Old Testament professor. I guess he's, maybe if you're, if he's, if you're a professor, you're still a professor. He, he doesn't profess anymore, I guess. He, now he runs a ministry, but he used to be a professor. And I, I heard him once say that, that the, old, the Old Testament is 77% of the Bible, and most of the Old Testament is stories. And I, I heard a theologian say that 90% of the Bible is stories. That they're all, it's full of stories. There are stories everywhere. And one thing that interests me, and we work on the, the Yakima Reservation, it's a, a different culture than, than uh, mainstream American culture. And uh, Western culture has a tendency to de-emphasize story and its place. But all throughout the Old Testament, there are stories. And Richard Pratt wrote a book uh, called He Gave Us Stories, where he argues that we need to, to understand the Bible, to understand God. We need to look at the stories in the Bible and understand them better and talk about them. And, and the truth is, is that uh, we, with children, we teach them the stories over and over again. And, and, and sometimes it's a go to for us when we're thinking about a tough situation or thinking about a tragedy. We remember Jesus, Jesus cried at his friend's death. We think about the, the disciples and, and Peter walking on the water or the disciples at the storm. They, they're some of the first things that come into our head. We also memorize Bible verses. Uh, not as many of us memorize the confessions and creeds, um, but th- there's a beauty in them. And the confessions and the creeds are more of a systematic theology approach to everything. And it's, it's useful, it's very good, it's beautiful. There's a, there's a beauty in it. But one thing I wanna push a little bit is that it's through the biblical stories that we can see God for who he really is, that we can see him um, for who he is and not for who we are, not for what we're kind of putting on him. But we can, as Romans 12 reminds us, be transformed by the renewing of our mind as we look at God for who he is. So if we look at this passage from Luke 14 and we see who is God, what what do we see here? And it starts off, of course, in the beginning of the passage, they're talking about Jesus is is, is at a a meal with people and he's talking to them. They're talking about a wedding feast and he he starts with this, or I started in verse 12 with the directive about when you're having a feast, when you're having a luncheon, inviting, inviting who you're gonna invite. And Jesus says, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, the rich neighbor, the, the people that you're connected with, but instead invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And one thing that Jesus is doing here is he's addressing that this, this system of that time and, and our system today is a lot of times built on reciprocity, that we, we're used to and we are familiar and comfortable with that system. You invite your friend to dinner, they're gonna invite you back maybe a week or a month later, that your friends and your relatives, you have this system of, of reciprocity. You give them a gift, they give you a gift, and that's how life works. And uh, you, you can even think of it in terms like of a, a business sense of, I have this person that I'm friends with, I'm going to give them a little business, and then sometime down the road they're going to come and give me business, or they're going to send one of their friends to give me business. And that's, that's kind of how the world works. It's, it's built on reciprocity, give and take. And that's how the system was in Jesus' day too, that you want to Win influence, you want to, to have the, the powerful and the rich and the influential on your side. And so you wanna do things that, that uh, win some trust with them, that build, build friendship, build relationship. And we see from here that God's system isn't like that. God's system's not built on reciprocity. Well it, it is built on reciprocity, but not the reciprocity we think. It's not built on, if I do this for God, then he does this for me. If I live a certain way, then God's gonna do this. God upends all that. And then he uses a story to explain and, to, and to, to, to tell more about what his directive is, what his command is. And we see this again. Again, we can see who God is in that. Is that he often uses stories connected to directives. You can think about in the book of Exodus. He starts, before giving the 10 Commandments, he says, I'm your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then goes on to give the 10 Commandments. That God has the 10 Commandments, they're important for us, they're, they're an important piece of the Bible. But before the Ten Commandments start, before they're given as this is what you should do, he reminds you that you were people that were enslaved and I've rescued you, I've saved you, I've brought you out of there and given you a new home. That his commands are always tied to to a story. His commands are always tied to our story. And then he goes on uh, to tell a story about someone who's having a feast, who's having a banquet, and he invites lots of people to come. And they go out. He, he sends out servants. Um, it's, I didn't plan this, but it's interesting that, that he's talking about this, this wedding feast, this, this banquet. And we're, we just entered, this, today's the first day of Advent, and it's looking forward to Christmas, but it's also looking forward to the end of the world, to Jesus' second coming, to his return, when we will have that banquet with him, when we're gonna be with him, when we get a taste of it here at the Lord's Supper. But Jesus is talking about this heavenly banquet that's gonna happen. There's gonna be this feast, this, this party, and he sends out his servant, he, he invites people, and people it gives three examples of people that have excuses of why they can't come. One person has a field, and they have to care for it. Another person has five oxen, and they have to care for it. Someone just got married. And all those are seemingly pretty good reasons, right? If you're, you just got married, you've got things to do. Uh, if you've got a field to take care of, you've got to do stuff. If you've got five oxen, you've got to bring them in and take care of them, make sure you have somewhere for them to stay. All these people have seemingly legitimate reasons but of course we, we, we have no legitimate reason for, for turning away God and denying his invitation but then in the story the master becomes angry and he orders his servant to bring in the poor, the crippled and the lame and the servant says we've done that we've, we've, brought, in, we've brought in everybody we can and there's still more and then the master orders them to go into the streets and the alleys or, then he goes to them to go, sorry that's the first part, they, they say we've done that then they say go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. In essence, he's, he's telling them invite in the homeless, invite in the people on the street corner, invite those that are living under the bridge. Bring in the lowest of the lowest or the worst of the worst in, in what some people would consider. And in Matthew 22 there's a similar similar story that Jesus tells. Here it's not called a wedding, it's just called a banquet. But in Matthew 22 it's called a wedding and Jesus says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So in this story we have a picture of who God is. We're, we're reminded that God cares about those who are living in the, in the roads and the country lanes or maybe you've heard the highways and the byways is the old, the old phrase. We have, we have a picture of God who's a father to the fatherless and defender of widows. He cares and he loves and he wants to bring in all peoples, but he has a special care for those who would get missed, those who would get overlooked, those who we may think, well, God doesn't care about them because they're living out on the streets. Or we may think God doesn't care about them because they have an illness or because they're struggling or because they're poor. God cares about them. And we see this too in the Psalms. We see Jesus saying, blessed are the poor. But in the Psalms, I I picked out a couple here. Where you see that, Psalm nine says, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Psalm 12 says, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Which is kind of scary, that God promises, it's scary for us if we're on the plundering side, but if we're the poor, it's great, it's great news. If we've been the ones plundering the poor, we should be afraid, because God's gonna move and God's gonna work, but if we are the poor, And we should take great comfort knowing that God promises to work and move. Psalm 14 says, You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. God cares greatly for the poor. God cares for the weak. God cares for the lost. Acts 15 says, He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. If anyone's saved, it's the same. It's the same Jesus. It's the same grace. There's no discrimination in the gospel. Who God is is one who brings in the poor. He brings in the outsider. He brings in those who are far away that we think shouldn't be here. Sometimes we think that. And you you see this again, it's a a common theme of stories in the Old Testament. Who does God use to achieve his plans? Uh, You see Gideon who's, uh, I can't remember if it's threshing or thrashing, I think it's threshing wheat. He's threshing wheat and he's hiding in a hole. He's not a brave man, he's not a soldier, he's not... He's not reading, uh, I can't remember that now, but he's not reading a book on warfare. There's the famous one by the Chinese guy that I can't remember. But he's not sitting there reading that. He's not coming up with great plans of how he's going to defeat the Midianites. He's hiding in a hole. He uses a little boy, David, to defeat a giant Goliath. He uses a, bar- a barren woman to bring Samuel into the world. He uses a widow and a foreigner to be the ancestor of David. He uses a, a prostitute, Rahab, who's in the lineage of, of David and lineage of Jesus. We see him bring Moses, who's a, who uh, has a speech issue. We don't know if, if what exactly it is, but some people think it's stuttering, that he may have been a stutterer. But he brings him to lead the people. And that's not who we'd pick. We'd pick, well, like the Israelites, we'd pick someone like Saul, who's tall and strong and big, and this is the one that God wants. This is the one that God has shown favor to. But God in his stories over and over chooses little things and little people and broken people and sinners for his work. And he says this outright in Deuteronomy 7. He says to them, it was not because, he says to the Israelites, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. So we see who God is from, from these passages. We see it in this story too, who God is wanting, who God's bringing in. He's bringing in those far away. When we look at this story, when we look at the other stories in the Bible, who are we? Who are we in, in these stories? And the Bible talks about each and every one of us like these people living in the highways and the byways. The Bible talks about us as being poor, as being widows, as being orphans, as being fatherless, refugees and sojourners, being, being a stranger, being naked, being blind, being homeless. And one thing that I, I love about the church and one thing that, that initially drew me into the, the Presbyterian church was that we sing this in our songs, and I forgot my bulletin. But we, the very first song we sang, has that had that. What was the what was the name of the first song we sang? Come. come ye sinners, yeah, come ye sinners, poor and needy, uh, weak and wounded by the fall. That we, we sing that. That's the first line. That's a beautiful line. It's um. It, it sounds kind of uh, harsh to say that, like oh, we're weak and yeah, we are. We weak and wounded, broken by the fall. And so I, I, that was one thing that, that drew me in, and I love it that we sing it in many of our different songs, and I'm going to do something with you guys that you may not normally do, and if it's uh, wrong or if it causes offense, I apologize, but uh, sometimes at our church, we'll, I'll, I'll ask a question and then get people to answer it from the, from the audience during the sermon, and um, Again, not all churches do that, and if, if it's not the normal or if it upsets someone, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm going to uh, say a line from a song, and if you know that song, could you raise your hand and say the, the title of that song? Um, some of these are going to be well-known, and um, you'll, you'll know this right away. Some of, the, some of these might be a little more obscure, so I'm sorry. But okay, I'm gonna, let's, let's try this. this. This line is, let good and kindreds go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still might know that one? Yes, sir. A mighty, a mighty fortress. At the very beginning, we say, let good and kindreds go. They can take our body. They can take our life. They can take all of the things in this world. We, we want to be in that position of being lower. We, we're, we're praying that in our songs, which, which may, that might strike you as strange that we as Christians do that. This one, this one might be a little more, more obscure, but uh, he brings a poor, vile sinner into his house of wine. Does anybody know that one? It's okay. It's the, the sands of time are sinking. It's uh, not as well known, I guess. But it's one I like. Um, I love that imagery that God is going to bring a poor, he has a house of wine. And you're not inviting a poor, vile sinner there. You're pointing them to stay away because they're going to mess with your wine. They're going to steal your stuff. But God's grace and kindness of love is to bring a poor, vile person in there to celebrate with him. Another one says, uh, Make me poor and keep me low, seeking only thee to know. You might know that one? It's okay. It's a Jesus cast a look on me. It helps if you have more context sometimes. So I'm sorry. Okay, this one is easy. I think everyone should know this one, maybe. It's something that saved a wretch like me. Well, you already did one. You, got, you can't. Yes. Amazing. Amazing grace. Okay, there we go. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Where we, we say in the song, we're a wretch. We don't deserve God's grace, we don't deserve his love and compassion, but we're a wretch. Okay, we'll try one more. Uh, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. Yeah. Come thou found. Come thou found. yeah. And we're seeing that. We, we recognize that we are like the sheep wandering away. We're a stranger. We're not, there's nothing in us that's like, God, I, I wanna know you and, and be close to you. Our, our hearts are to wander away, to, to get away, to, to flee from God. But he comes and seeks us when we're a stranger wandering from his fold. That's his love. That's who he is. And we see that in this story. Again, he's bringing in the ones that people don't think should be invited. He brings in the ones that are far away. When we look at this story, we can say, well, who are we? That we know what we, know. we, know what we are as, as people, that we're far from God. We're naked, homeless, uh, sojourners, fatherless, widows, orphans. But we also know that in Christ, we're given a heavenly Father. We're given robes of righteousness. We're given brothers and sisters and a family. We're given a home. Instead of being blind, we can see in Christ. In Christ, we're people that have made it. There was a time when we were not, but now we are in Christ and we've made it. But oftentimes, you may be a Christian here. You may not be a Christian yet, or you're wondering, or you're, you're just, you got invited, or somehow you wandered in this morning. But oftentimes, Christians... Can, can be like the people Jesus are talking to. He's having dinner at a Pharisee's house. That Christians can be like the Pharisees, can be self-righteous, and can pound their chest and say, I'm, look how great I am, God, and look at a great gift I've given to you because of all that I do for you. And we see in the Bible that Jesus has a special anger and judgment for the self-righteous and for the Pharisees. Those who think, I have deserved this, I deserve this invitation. I've worked hard all my life. I'm owed what God is giving me. I'm owed this. Haven't I suffered enough? Haven't I worked enough? And in, in reality, those people who act and think like that, which again, can, can be all of us. Those people act and think that they don't need a savior. But we have to, again, have our minds renewed to not believe what this world tells us, to not believe that we've made it or we, we deserve this or that but to know that we are people that have been brought in that are on the last of the list, that are brought in by God. And we can look at our churches and what are our churches marked by and what are our, our individual lives marked by. Um, there are people that are invited to this feast that are, not, that are not there, that don't come. Who are we? Are we like those that see God's invitation and say, well, I'm, I'm busy, I've got other things to do? Do we see God's invitation and think, well, I, I deserve to be there. Or are we like those who are, who are drug in by God's servants, by his angels, by his people? Do we have the same attitude as God? Do we go out? Uh, I think AT was just saying inviting people to church. Do we have the attitude of going, people, going to people, our friends and our neighbors, and say, hey, come to church? Well, hey, come over to my house and have Thanksgiving with us. Come over to our house and have dinner, watch a movie with us, spend time with us. Do we invest? in those around us and love them like Jesus does, or do we write them off? And I've got a, a story uh, from, my, from, from myself that, that I have had times when I've written people off and I've thought, well, this person is too far gone or this person is beyond the pale. This person, you know, I've, I've done my best. And so the, we, have, we have teams that come in the springtime and the summertime, and they do work in the community, working on homes, roofing and painting usually. Sometimes we pick up trash, sometimes we do firewood. But then in the afternoon every day, we do what we call Kids Club. We go to these two housing projects that are really rough places, rough homes, rough kids, rough backgrounds, and we do kids programs. And we'll spend time playing, doing kickball, four square crafts, jump rope, tag, uh, other things, Play-Doh. And then at the end, we'll do a Bible story and we'll have the kids act out the Bible story and then we'll pray with them, we'll sing, and then we send them home. And those kids that we connect with, those are the ones that come to church and that are part of our youth group and some of the adults in our church that are leading now. But uh, a few years ago, we were doing this and there was a little boy named Paul who came to Kids Club. And one of the rules we have for Kids Club is you need to connect with a kid as soon as they get there because if, if they come and no one connects with them, if no one makes them feel loved and feel part of things, they're not gonna stick around. So, we as a staff always try to keep an eye on the, uh, we call them wallflowers. There are some that just kind of sit on the periphery and they watch and they, they don't know, they're just kind of you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And so there was a little boy named Paul there. And the first week we were doing this, I tried to interact with him and I talked to him, I found out his name, I found out who his family was, but he just wouldn't talk. And he, he sat there with pretty much no affect. And he wouldn't smile, he wouldn't laugh, he wouldn't talk, he would just sit there and I remember taking books to him and sitting and reading uh, I would get the other kids and we'd sit and like, let's read a book and try to get Paul to read too and let's try to talk to him and nothing happened and uh, I remember after the first it uh, might have been the second week of doing that with him I kind of gave up on him and I thought well we tried we tried to connect with him but he is not connectable and I thought too I've been doing this a long time I know how to connect with children and make them laugh and be, do silly voices or strange things, and uh, nothing seemed to work with him. And so I, I had kind of written him off. But the next week, we had a man that came from a, uh, the RUF group from UCLA named Conrad. And he came, and he was doing Kids Club with us. And I remember the, the, the first day he came, um, he came and he was assigned to the reading station. So he just sat there with reading books and read books to kids. And for the first like 30 minutes, I'd walk by and check on and be like, hey Conrad, how's it going? And he'd be like, well, I'm here, there are no kids. And I was like, well, keep sticking with the station because someone's gonna come. Eventually there'll be someone to come to read with you. And eventually Paul came and read with him and they connected and the next day we were doing Kids Club and I, I heard this laughing and giggling and I turned and looked and Conrad was running through where we do Kids Club and he was holding Paul way up in the air like this and they were chasing bubbles. And Paul was just laughing and poking the bubbles and having a good time. And all week, they played and connected and had fun and did stuff. And it allowed us throughout the year to keep connecting with Paul and keep inviting him to church and connect with him at Kids Club. And I like the story because you can see the impact one person can have on a kid and connecting with them and breaking down that wall and and sharing with them. But I also like it because the next year, Conrad came back. And right away, he and Paul hit it off. They were playing, they were chasing bubbles, they were doing crafts, they were having fun. And uh, uh, towards the end of the week, they were, they were sitting on the, we have this big ass, uh, concrete pad, and they were doing sidewalk chalk. And so Conrad said, let's, let's draw a house. And so they sat down, they drew a house in the, on the concrete pad, and, and he did, you know, he's talking to Paul, he said, all right, Paul, what do we need next? He's like, well, you need a roof. So they drew a roof on there. What do we need next? We need windows and a door, and they drew a tree and a swing and all the stuff you need on a house. And then Conrad looked at it, and he said, well, Paul, I think, I think it's all done, it looks great. And then Paul got upset with him, and he's like, you forgot the slide, you forgot the slide. And then Conrad started to cry, because a year ago, they had done the same thing, where they had done, did a sidewalk chalk house, and they did all the normal stuff on it. But then at the end, they did a slide, and the slide went off the house, and it, it went all through the park, and the concrete pad. And Conrad said that he, he started crying because he had forgotten about that. He would forgotten that they had drawn a sidewalk chalk house the year before. But Paul remembered, that Paul remembered that Conrad was the man who came and loved him and cared for him and played with him and did stuff. And he's the man that he does a sidewalk house with that has a slide on it. And I like that story to, to show the connection, that you can, you can connect with a little kid and share Jesus with them, share that you love them, that you care for them, that you're safe. And they'll remember it. They can remember it maybe for years later. I don't know if, if Paul remembers that anymore. But he was, he was someone he connected with. But Conrad had totally forgot about it. And um, there, there's beauty in that. But I also, it just struck me, I hadn't completely written Paul off. But part of me did. Part of me was like, well, there's 60 other kids here I need to focus on. Paul's just going to have to, you know, do something else. But there's that tendency for us in, in ministry or in life to write somebody off. And to think this person, um, maybe they have done something, literally, <laughs> that's, that is beyond the pale. But do our actions and our attitudes and our, our ways we treat other people and talk to people, do we write them off? Or do we say, well, maybe, they, maybe there's hope for this. Maybe, maybe all I can do is pray for this person and let God, let God be the one to figure it out. But so often, our stance is to, to see ourselves like the Pharisees and to say, we're not sinners in need of help. We're people that that like the people that are in the highways and the byways. We're the people that that don't have anything apart from Jesus. We see that that God sends his message out to the world and brings in all kinds of people everywhere. He brings in the least likely. We see that um, in Jesus we have the very Word of God made flesh and the stories come to life that with Jesus we have the promise and the invitation for everybody to come. Everybody who's thirsty, come to him. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come by and eat. We're told that by him. We're we're getting ready to have the Lord's Supper here. At this table, there's a great promise of equality, that before God we're all the same. None of us get to the table early because of uh, how smart we are or how tall we are or strong we are or fast we are or athletic or a good analyst or the best mom or the best dad or the best whatever. Every one of us apart from Jesus is like the people living in the highways and the byways and in the hedges We're people that don't deserve anything but yet because of who God is, he's a God who loves mercy, who loves to invite the stranger and bring them in Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the promise in it. The promise of a God who is bigger than we can imagine, who loves more than we can, who loves us even in our sin and our struggles. Father, we know that every one of us are sinners who would run from you who would not know you if we were left to our own devices. But you're a God who seeks the wandering sheep and brings them back into the fold of God. You're a God who calls and invites those who wouldn't be the first on the list. Father, help us to see who we are, that we're sinners, that we're broken people, and at the same time we've been invited to this feast and this banquet that we're loved by Christ more than we can understand or know. Help us to know and believe that we're your children. Help us to see Jesus as our Savior, the one who's taken our sins, who's forgiven us. Help us to walk with him every day. In Jesus' name, amen.